Let's grab our Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and uh, one of our ushers will bring a Bible to you. If, if you don't have our bulletin, raise your hand and we'll bring that to you. Both of those are going to be super helpful to you. Uh, we'll be in the Bible all morning long. And that bulletin is going to have some really helpful sermon notes for you on the back. Okay, so uh, if you've got your Bible, let's uh, turn to John chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll just say, state the obvious, I want stuff. I want stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Me and you. I don't think it's just me and you, though. I think it's all of us. We want stuff. And, you know, I'll just say that I have been confronted as much as any time in my life in the past three or four weeks with how much I want stuff. I want a healthy baby. I want a healthy wife. I want work to sort of work out a certain way. I want it. And, and the things that I want, for the most part, they're just, it's just stuff stuff, right? I want some righteous things. I have some righteous desires. Like I, I desire obedience in my life. That's a righteous desire. And I, I have some sinful desires in my life. Like when a car cuts me off in traffic, I want it to explode. That's a sinful desire. Got to turn away from those. But for the most part, what I want is just stuff. It's provision. It's good stuff, but it's just stuff. Not promised me. And it's me and you and, and the rest of us too, right? You want stuff. We want stuff. We want provision. And it's right for us to ask the Lord for provision. You want health for yourself, for your family. You want someone to marry. You want your relationships to work out a certain way. You want respect from your coworkers. You want finances to turn this way and not that way. And you know that God says, come to me, ask me. You know that. And yet, you also know that God isn't a big Santa Claus in the sky. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we relate to God in regards to wanting stuff, provision? How do we relate to God Provision. Well, in John chapter 6, there's a group of people who approach Christ wanting stuff. And Christ answers them in regard to that approach. He addresses this. And although John chapter 6 is not the total and comprehensive teaching of the Bible when it comes to provision, it's not. It is nevertheless foundational to a Christian understanding of provision. But we know that the Bible 
teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, don't worry about provision. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Just don't worry. We know in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 that the Bible says it's a grievous evil that you would be given provision and possessions and honor and riches and then not be able to enjoy them. We know that from um, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. The psalmist had never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. So the, the Bible has some things to say about provision, but all of them are fitted into what Christ has to say about provision in John chapter 6. So would you look with me as we look at seven things Jesus says to people who want stuff? We got a lot, we got a lot to go, right? So we got a lot of things to say, so I'll talk fast, you listen fast. Seven things Jesus says to people who want stuff. Now, let me, let me set the context for you. Christ has just fed 5,000 men yesterday. He just fed the 5,000, and now he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and many of those people have sought him out. They've hunted him down, and they're like, Jesus, you're the guy who made the bread. That could be very useful. We're interested in that. And their argument is this. So you can see that this is true from verse 26. Let's just look where it makes it explicit that this is what they're about. Right? Jesus says in verse 26, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Right? You haven't seen the sign and seen who it points to and understood its significance. You just... You got your stomach full, and now it's empty, and you're back. And they make a very shrewd argument. They defend themselves. They basically say, so what's wrong with that? Look at verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, by that, they're not saying, um, we haven't seen you do any work. Like, he just fed 5,000 men from a couple of loaves and fishes. Like, they've seen the sign. So they're not saying, well, you didn't see it. What, what sign? That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is this. <laughs> Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, <clears throat> look, this is how Moses did it. You want us to believe in you and follow you. Well, um, when our forefathers believed in and followed Moses, he gave them bread to eat every day. He filled their stomachs. He provided for them. He gave them provision. Now we're coming to you for provision. And what's, So what's wrong with that? What's the big deal? So our stomachs are empty. Yeah. You see the argument. And Christ 
addresses them about this. How does Christ respond? And he, he, the whole discourse here about this. Seven things he says, at least. So what does Christ have to say to people like me who want stuff? Here's number one. God's provision, God's decision. God's provision, God's decision. Right? right? They say, hey, Moses did it this way. What's so wrong about us asking you to do it this way? And Christ sets them straight throughout this entire discourse, but he starts this way. Christ sets them straight by saying this. Look, that wasn't about Moses. Moses didn't provide that bread. That was from my father. And he made that call then, and he's making a different call now. Let's look at it. Right here in verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. It was a God decision. God chooses. And he chose that specific provision for those people for a specific good. And it was God's best for them at the time. But because they can't see that God is the one who makes these calls, and they can't see past God, they can't see that past their stomachs as first and see God as first, they are looking right past the specific provision God has for them, which is far, far greater. They can't see it. I see it all the time, hundreds of different ways that people try to manipulate God in to sort of outsmarting him or something, I don't know. Getting from God what it is that they want as if he's a machine or there's some mechanical process in it instead of him being the living God who chooses what provision will be for who, when. Oh, you've got to pray in this certain order or you have to pray with these certain people or draw a circle or something. That, that wasn't just a throwaway comment. Like, there, it's a thing. Draw a circle. It's a thing. Um, we can't, nor do we want to, manipulate God into giving us what we want when he has for us what is best. And these people couldn't even see it. He was giving them true bread from heaven. And they said, well, we've seen it kind of done differently before. And... So, what, do we have, what buttons do we have to push? Listen. You can trust God's decision about provision in your life. You can trust God's decisions about provision in your life. They are always good. And they are always on time. But here's the deal. They are always his. They're his. And we should go fervently to him. And we should go persistently 
to him and ask. He listens to his children. But listen, it's his decision. And it's in his wisdom. And the people who failed to see that failed to see that he was providing much more than they thought they wanted. Don't let that be you. What else does Jesus say to people who want stuff? Like me. Number two, God is giving true provision. God is giving true provision. Verses 32 and 33 say this. Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's, that's, that's kind of the key issue, isn't it? It's what we think is, is the real deal. What we think is true provision. What we think is ultimate and real That's kind of that's the deal, don't you think? And Christ says, this is the true bread. He says later in verse 55, he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now, by that, Christ is not saying, y'all should chow down on my quad like it's a drumstick. Get after it. It's, it's for real, y'all. He's saying, it's the real deal. It is the true thing. It is ultimate. You're looking for material provision, and I'm providing for you true provision. And you think... This material thing is the true thing, and I'm telling you, what I'm offering you is more real than the material provision you think is so real. It's truer. It's truer. It gives life. It gives life. I was a kid uh, when I was watching TV with my dad at one point. I, don't, I can't remember how old it was, maybe, maybe 12 years old. And uh, what I do remember is that it was a TV interview of a prosperity preacher. Um, I don't know who was interviewing him, but, but the prosperity preacher was saying, you know, the Bible says we should ask from God and he will give to us. And I don't think he just means spiritual things. I think he means like real wealth. And at that point... Uh, my dad's like, my dad's from South America, so here comes the accent. You got it all backwards, man. You got it backwards, right? Jesus tells us in Luke 16, he says, if you're not faithful with, with earthly money, who will provide for you then real riches, true wealth? The true stuff is the spiritual stuff. And you know that is true. What gives you life? It can change on a dime, right? It can change on a dime. When what you're worshiping switches from what you should be worshiping to what you shouldn't be worshiping, your life just drains and sours. 
Now, the prosperity preacher got something right. He was right in a limited way. Does God provide material? Yes. Does God provide materially? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the context of this is the feeding of the 5,000, not the starving of the 5,000. Right? God does provide materially, but you... I would say every one of your names, if I could. You have to see that what God calls true provision is the truest provision there is. It gives life. It gives life. You have to recognize that. That's what he says, verse 33. It gives life. It gives life to the world. All who come will receive life from this bread of heaven. Do you think God knows what he's talking about? I mean, he created your life. He sustains your life. He's provided everything for you in your life up till now. And he says, here's where the real life is. Here's the true provision. And you trust him on that one? You trust him on that one? Well, seven things that Jesus says to people who want stuff like me. Here's the third. Jesus says, I am that provision. I am that provision. Verse 34, they said, sir, give us this bread always. Kind of like the woman at the well. Hey, okay, give me that water so I don't have to come here anymore. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He says it clearer here than he has said anywhere else in John up till now. He just comes out and says it. I'm not just the one who gives living water. I'm not just the one who gives life. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the way. It's me. And that is the central truth of this whole passage. That is the central truth. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things that are related to it. But that is the center. That is the sun of the solar system of all the things that go into this. It's him. He is the provision. It's him. And the fact of the matter is, that is either the most precious truth or the biggest disappointment. In fact, in verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned away and they followed him no more. Oh, Christ is my provision? That's what I have to look forward to? Many, many blessings, true, that flow to him and from him, but he is it. When you come to Christ, here's the deal, you get Christ. You get Christ. Forgiveness of sins? Yes, absolutely. So that you can be with him uncondemned. Eternal life? Yes, eternal life with him. And not without him. He's it. 
He's the provision. And I'll say it again. That is either the most precious truth or the biggest disappointment. You have to fix that in your heart and fix that in your mind as other types of provision come in and out of your life. As you enjoy your health, recognize He is the provision. Let that enjoyment roll up into glory that is His. And then as health fades, He's the provision. As finances come in, He's the provision. As finances go out, you have to have that anchored in your life, a flag that's in the center of your entire heart's territory. He is the provision. He is enough. You have been granted to feed on Christ day by day and forever, and He is it. Which means also this. Things that Jesus says to people who want stuff, like me, like you. <coughs> Believing in me means satisfaction in me as provision. Believing in me means satisfaction in me as provision. Verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and we've been doing this for a while in John, right? Figuring out what John is saying about believing. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? And he's sharpening that image for us passage by passage. Every passage he's talking about believing. Believing, what does it mean to believe? And that image is getting clearer and clearer like, like a photo in a dark room. And I'm young enough to know that many of you don't know what a dark room is. And I'm old enough to actually know what one is, and I've, I've been in one. And I've watched the way it used to work was, right? You had a, you had a photo on, on paper, and you would put it in this solution, and it was blank paper, and then started to, the, the image just started to surface right off uh, the paper there in, in the solution. And it became in clear focus. And John is doing that for us in regards to who Christ is, and what it means to believe. Because it's not just knowing a bunch of things about Christ. Right? It's not just knowing that Christ is God. It's not just knowing that Christ became a man. It's not just knowing that He died for sins. It's not just knowing that He rose from the dead. The demons know all those things. So if just knowing all these things about Christ and believing that they're true isn't what it means to believe, what does it mean to believe? To quote another pastor, it means coming so as to not hunger. Believing so as to not thirst. Like Philippians 3.18. I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. 
Believing is being satisfied with all God is for you in Jesus. Do you realize that saving faith involves where you get your satisfaction? Saving faith involves where you get your satisfaction. When he takes away the, 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 the thing, the, that which you would be so angry if he took away, or so despondent if he did not provide, when he takes it away or he doesn't provide it, is he still enough? Is he enough? Because he is, you see. He is. When you believe in Christ, you believe in him as he is. Sacrifice for sin, Lord of all, satisfaction of your soul. He is those things. And when you trust him, you trust him for who he is. Well, seven things that Christ says to people who want stuff. He says this. Number five. The Father grants those who will come to me as provision. The Father grants those who will come to me as provision. If we're going to come to him as provision for our soul, as satisfaction of our soul, that's something that God the Father grants. It says in verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. In 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. You can't birth yourself, right, Nicodemus? Right? I mean, that was, that was what Nicodemus was trying to get his head around. Jesus says, you must be born, born again. And Nicodemus was like, how do I do that? How do I do that? And he wasn't, he wasn't just asking about like the bi- biology of it, right? He was asking, how do I affect it? He says, the spirit blows where it wishes. You can't birth yourself. The dead man can't decide, oh, you know what? I think I'll rise now. Life looks pretty good up there. I think I'll come from, I think I'll go from being dead to being alive. Dead man can't do that. God can do that. God can grant it. God can give. You can see that this is granted. Faith is granted. Repentance is granted. And this is all grounded in the will of God. Look at verse 38. The will of him who sent me. Verse 39. The will of him who sent me. Verse 40. The will of him who sent me. Verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And so the... the, the, the logical question is, well, how do I know that it's been granted me? How do I know that I've been given to Christ? And the answer is actually pretty simple. If you come. If you come. If you've been given, you'll come. And if, you've, and if you come, you've been given. If you stay, you've been given. Because all he gives comes, and he loses none of all who are his. He loses none. That's how you know. 
you really don't have to get hung up on the question because the Bible never does. Never gets hung up on that. How exactly God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are fitted and joined and fastened together, the, the Bible never really pulls back the upholstery and shows us that. But we do know this, that God grants those who will come and those who God gives to Christ will come. And it's a beautiful celebration of God's grace to even contemplate that. It's not on me. It's not on me. Now, there's plenty of things he asks of me, but my heart can't rest its confidence on me. In fact, he goes right into that. Here's number six. Christ says, I neither reject nor lose any who come to me as provision. I neither reject nor lose any who come to me as provision. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Hmm. Christ keeps us. Christ receives us. Not by our own wills, but by God's. I mean, is your trust, is your heart's trust on the flimsy, wet paper bag of your ability to stay by Christ's side or on the rock-solid fortress of God's will and His guarding hand? Do the battle. He says battle. He says, go to battle against sin. He says, go to battle that you would find your satisfaction in me. Do it. Fight. But in that fight, don't place your trust in your fight. Place your trust in my ability to hold you. That's where your heart belongs. And let me say this. If you are thinking about coming to Christ, if you're like, you know what, I, I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, I'm thinking about coming to Christ, let me settle this issue for you. He will not reject you. He will not reject you. The blood of His cross is more powerful than anything that you have done or anything that you have left undone. And frankly, it's not about you anyway. He won't reject you, not because of who you are or aren't. He won't reject you because of who he is. He loses none who are his. He turns away none who are given to him. It's about him. Not you. And he won't reject you. Seven. Something Jesus says to people who want stuff, like me. Look on me for provision of eternal life with me. Look on me for provision of eternal life with me. He says in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeah, the gospel is rich. The gospel is all-encompassing. The gospel is all-satisfying, but it's not complicated. Look on him. The image he's using, he's used before already in John from Numbers, right? The people of Israel were fatally snake-bitten in the wilderness, and God told Moses, I want you to take a bronze serpent, I want you to put it up on a stick, and then when people will look up at the bronze serpent, they will be healed from their fatal snake bites. Is that a picture of this isn't about you or what? Like, what work do you perform to be healed? What medicine do you take? Nothing. It's not a work. It's not a project. It's not a task. It's a simple act of faith. You look on what God has promised, and he keeps his promise. That's it. Outside of Christ, you are dying in your sins. In Christ, you live forever with him. I mean, does that make your heart leap? Live forever with him. Because remember, he is the provision. It's not just forever with blessing, it's forever with him. And if you can imagine a heaven that you want to go to where Christ isn't, you have to ask yourself some hard questions. If you can think of a heaven where you would live forever, but without Christ, would you want to be there? I could only be where he is. And that is a struggle in our hearts, because there's lots of things we want, and we'd like forever. But in the end, it's with him. Only with him. And the message of this whole book is that you are fatally snake-bitten by sin. Your treason against the rightful king of the universe. But Christ has taken that death on a cross so that you could be healed forever if you would look to him. And the true provision you need, forgiveness, power to live in holiness, the strength for him to be your satisfaction. It's for you if you look to Christ. Now for those of you who have already trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd like to finish this point in view of the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come uh, bring the elements and uh, the band to come on up as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper.